This is Radiant's tape number, JD81, recorded on June 30th, 1974, a message by Jim Durkin entitled, What is a Disciple? I'm going to minister on a subject. The Lord spoke to us when he said, Make disciples of all nations. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 18. The Lord Jesus here is speaking. It says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Now there are several things I'd like you to notice about that particular scripture. First, I'm going to read it out of the New American Standard, 2818. Says as Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now please notice that our Lord Jesus, first of all, says that all authority in heaven and on earth, has been given to him. Now that is all authority. The Bible tells us that the powers that be are ordained of God, and there is no power but of God. Now think of all of that power, all of that authority, all of that right, all of it, the Bible says has been given to Jesus. And he now wields it under the Father, but it is his. And it has been given to him by the Father to exercise that authority. And this one to whom all authority in heaven and earth has been given, this one is now in his last words on the earth, is telling his people, his listeners, the ones who heard him throughout earth, he is telling them something of tremendous importance. And he's saying, I want you. See, but he prefaces his statement now by, I want you to do something. He prefaces it with this statement, all authority on heaven and on earth is given into my hands. Now, I want you to, amen, so be it, Lord. What do you want us to do? What is your command? We're ready to follow it, Lord. We're ready to do what you tell us to do. What is it? Then he said, I want you to go into all nations. And I want you to make disciples in every nation. I'm going to talk about disciples today. But I want you to see that this is not some last day concept that people now are dreaming up or they're making a play on some word and they're trying to build some new idea. The idea came from the Lord himself. And he saved it to last. And he prefaced it with the statement, All authority in heaven and earth is given into my hands, and here's what I want you to do. As a result of that, authority has been given me. I want you to go, he said, into all nations. And I want you to teach 
But the word really in the Greek is make disciples of the same word that he used elsewhere. Be my disciples. You're my disciples indeed. You're my learners. The ones that are taught. That's what he means. That you go into all nations and make out of those nations people who are hearing what I have to say. But he goes on to say even more than that. He says, I want you to baptize them into this discipleship. Well, I think I'll get baptized. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. I don't think it's necessary. Maybe this. No, it is necessary. We might argue about the mold. We might argue about the formula. We might argue about a thousand different things. But I think there has to be a place where the person who has heard the call of Jesus, who has responded to him as more than Savior, recognizes that he's not just Savior, that he is Lord. And Lord not only in the sense of an underlord, or Lord only in the sense of a delegated Lord. He is very God himself. And the Father has determined that Jesus will have the preeminence in everything so that he gives into his hands all authority in heaven and in earth and says even to the angels of God, let the angels of God worship him. Thy throne, O God, he speaks to this Jesus, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness shall be the scepter of thy kingdom. He says of him, the heavens are wax old, You'll fold them up as an old garment that is cast off and throw them away. But he said, your years will never fail. He's talking about his only begotten son. And that only begotten son, Jesus, stood there speaking to his disciples, and he speaks to us just as clearly today. And he said, I tell you, go into all nations and make disciples out of those nations. Then this last part of the verse, he says, teaching them to observe. Now notice this, not just disciples in the sense that our modern day religion has it. Make converts too. Get people to raise their hands. Get people to sign a card. Get someone to join the organization. Get someone to take the side of. Jesus needs no one to take his side. He's the creator of everything that you see. And if he ever withdrew for a moment, withdrew his spirit and gathered it unto himself, all life would expire in the entire universe. If he ever withdrew his power from the physical things that exist, they would all disappear into nothingness again from which they came. For the Bible says, out of nothing he made something. He is the one who upholds all things. Who said, I've got to get on Jesus' side and just really get in there and work for Jesus. Oh, you don't have to get on Jesus' side and work for Jesus at all. What our Lord is looking for is disciples. Men who will partake of his nature. Men who will partake of his life. Men who will become so related to him because they see who and what he is. And that's the wonderful thing that they want to be. They want to be like him. That's the whole of what we're talking about. So the Bible says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. You don't have to worry about whether you're going to succeed. You don't have to worry about whether the program is going to get worked out all right. The Bible says, Jesus himself speaks, says, lo, I'm with you, Jim.
I'm with you, Leroy. I'm with you, Honoré. I'm with you, Dave. I'm with you. Put your name there. I'm with you. Go and do it. And it'll get done. Hallelujah. Oh, that's what I want to hear. That's what I want to hear. I don't want to hear gospel outreaches with me. Hallelujah. Because I may look around sometime and find there ain't no gospel outreach. The government may dissolve it. But if the Lord's with me, nobody can dissolve that relationship. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I meant to keep entirely unexcited today, see? All right. Cool down. I'm going to teach you again. What is a disciple? A wholehearted learner. In the New Testament sense, one who is completely given over to Jesus to learn his ways, to walk in his ways, which are truth. I'm going to deal with that a little later, but I just want to lay out these points. Let's get it now. What is a disciple? A wholehearted follower, a learner. And we're here to learn his ways, to walk in his ways, and to let the consequences of that walk do their perfect work in us as disciples. I'm going to show you Romans 8, 29. Let's turn to it. What is God's aim for us? And you've got to see the value of this aim. Otherwise, it won't mean anything. That's why many ministers are preaching something else other than this. I'm going to start with 28. And we know, Paul said, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. Now, I want to make a point here. If you don't understand the meaning of this, then you're going to miss what really is being said. When he says all things work together for good, if you've got the wrong idea of what good is, if I have the wrong idea of what good is, then I'm going to get very confused about God's dealings with me. Because I'm going to look around and read about Paul who got his head cut off. Say, well, man, that don't sound like very good to me. Because what I had in mind that the Lord's going to do for me says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And what I have in mind is a kind of a cabin up in the mountains and a, a beautiful land rolling gently away from it, all planted with green grass and stream running through it. I'm giving you my little deal now. Sheep walking around. Ah, you know, most of the sheep I've seen are all dirty sheep. But my sheep are all beautiful white sheep, smiling teeth too when they look at me. And I see myself sitting on the porch with my beautiful wife, and we're just sitting there, just kind of rocking back and forth, saying, look at that, isn't that beautiful, honey? And then some of the things the Lord does to me, I say, that isn't working out that way. Well, that isn't what he's talking about. I don't know if I'm ever going to see the mountain cabin and the white sheep. I don't even know if there are any such things. There's something I kind of dreamed up there like that. But I want you to read the rest of it, and you'll see what he is talking about. And I think that's far better than a cabin and so forth. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, and he knew us, way back before the foundations of the world, the Bible says. Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate, and here it is, to be conformed to the image of his son. Now everything that God's doing in my life is working for that 
good. That's the good. That's the good. And if all these other things come along, then that's great, because that's obviously a part of God's plan to make that take place in my life. But if none of it comes along, if I spend the balance of my days in a jail cell someplace, or meet death like Paul did, or get bent over a Roman whipping post, or an American whipping post, or a Turkish whipping post, then I would know of a certainty that I'm probably in pretty good company because that's what happened to men like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and the three Hebrew children and Paul and Peter and the great men that gave their lives wholly to God. And let me not forget the words of the Apostle Paul. He said, Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I have ministered so that your hearts will not always be bowed down with visions of persecution. We're not being persecuted today. I'm grateful for that. The Bible says, speaking of some of the early people, they grew in favor with all the people. And I think there's a great sense in which, oh, there are some here in this area don't like us too well, but most of the people do. They see the work that's gone on, and they're happy with the work. Elsewhere, the story is the same. But I tell you of a certainty that there always is over us somewhere that statement of the Apostle Paul who understood the ways of God and the ways of this world when he said, Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now you see, if you don't understand that that can be a very real part of your growth in Christ, if you don't understand that things can go wrong, if you don't understand that you can have everything ripped away from you, even your life taken away, and God permit it, as a matter of fact, the Bible even talks about some who could have had deliverance from death, and they chose to die. They would not accept deliverance. The Bible says that they might attain to a better resurrection. So what they were aiming at is not some earthly deliverance, but that heavenly goal for which Paul says, I have been apprehended by the Lord Jesus Christ. He has laid hold upon me for something, and I want that for which he has laid hold upon me. I want to lay hold upon that also, he said. Now, we're talking about disciples. I haven't gone away from the idea of baptism. Okay. I mentioned it a little while back. So what happened to the idea of it? Nothing happened to the idea of baptism. I'm coming to it now. I'm simply saying that there is a place in a man's life when he's received Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That may be an emotional thing. It may happen on the road to the ranch. It may happen walking down the street of Eureka. It may happen in a church service. It may be at a revival meeting. It may be because you read the Bible and you find Jesus. You say, oh, Lord, come into my heart. I'm so miserable. I messed up. I'm a sinner. Forgive me, whatever the words are. And he comes into our heart, and we're changed in a moment. But that was all totally, completely a work of grace in which we were so completely passively involved, pressures and mounted up against us, and here we are. We say, oh, God, help me. Oh, I'm saved, or whatever words. But there has to come a time. And if it's rightly preached and rightly understood, and sometimes we don't always do that, there has to come a time where that man or that woman is not just any longer under the pressure of the burden of sins, the pressure of their things that are pushing them on every hand. They're literally surrounded by their brothers and sisters, and there's love there. And they stop and they think about what's happened. And they stop and they think about who Jesus is. 
They stop and they think about what it costs God to purchase this great salvation. And they stop and they think about what it means. Nobody's kidding them. Like so much preaching is today, get saved and your baseball score will go up. Get saved and you'll get a better job. Get saved and you'll get rich. Get saved and you'll... All of those things have to do with this life. They may happen, they may not happen. You may get saved and somebody shoot you in the head with a bullet. That's what the Bible teaches. You young men and you young women that will go out here to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't ever go out and tell people, get saved and your baseball score will go up, or something similar to that. Tell them the truth. Because the time has got to be they're going to have to walk down in that water or some experience similar, but that's a good place for it. And to think about it. Say, Lord, I'm being baptized into this thing. I'm signaling to the whole world that I'm renouncing that old life. It is dead to me. And I'm dead to it. It's behind and gone and finished and done. There was nothing in it but death. And Lord, when I go down in that water, that's a symbol. And more than a symbol, it's a reality. A burial. I'm dead. I was crucified with Christ. And I've accepted what the Lord has done. And I've given him my sins in my life. And now I walk into this water. Jesus, into your death I go, and into the resurrection of the newness of life. Yes, the man is saved, but there's a place for that intelligent commitment of the life to discipleship. I will be your disciple, Lord Jesus. And then we give ourselves. Isn't it a beautiful symbol of it? We don't dunk ourselves. We don't say, I'll baptize myself, go out where it's a little deep and just kind of go down like this and say, I do this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost or whatever way. We fold our hands, signifying our own helplessness. And we lean back into the arms of another and say, I've lost all control, Lord. That's what it's talking about. These things did not come about easily. All down through the ages, the ones that have showed before the coming of the righteous one have been butchered, have been beaten, have been slain, have been made a spoil. And then after Jesus came, those who pointed back to him, we know what happened to him, but those who pointed back to him and said, he is the Lord, follow him, they were butchered and slain. All except John, and maybe him too. But certainly the man was butchered in his lifetime, beaten in his lifetime, exiled in his lifetime. Paul had his head removed. James thrown from the pinnacle of the temple. Timothy run through with spears. Peter hung upside down on a cross. All of these men and countless women who are not even mentioned, thrown to lions, thrown in dirty dungeons with rat-filled vermin until they expired in terrible ways. But oh, thank God, because those men listened to the command of their Lord, they went into one nation after another nation. And they commanded those people, like the Lord said, commanded them to observe those things which I have given you. And one heard here, and one here, and ten here, and sometimes a hundred thousand heard, or a million heard. But because they kept on, one courageous man and woman after another rose up to give their lives and lay it down, even though some of them didn't have to. But all of them laid those lives down. I thank God that this gospel was still alive and 
way back 26 years ago, 27 years ago, and somebody walked up to me and said, I want to tell you about Jesus. And somebody kept the gospel going until it came to you, and now you know about it. And if the Lord doesn't come in our generation, then there's going to be another generation, and they've got to know about it. And I don't care if they're iron curtains or bamboo curtains or political divisions or whatever it is. This gospel must be preached. And we must make disciples of all nations. That's what our Lord told us to do. I didn't dream that up. He told us to do that. Amen. So be it, Lord. Then we'll do that. To be conformed to the image of his Son. What is a person if he is not a disciple? Well, he's a self-server. One whose chief interest is his self-life. And here are some scriptures that refer to that. Let's turn to Romans 16, 18. Go back here to verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches, deceive the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has come abroad unto all men. I am glad, therefore, in your behalf. But yet I would have you wise unto that which is good and simple concerning evil. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says they serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. Turn with me to Philippians 3.19. I'm going to go back a verse or two. That's the verse I want you to see. 17th verse, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. It's a heavy thing to say. But I tell you that also in this generation, that it's so. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind, what? Earthly things. Let your mind be on the work which God has commanded you to work. Let nothing take you away from that which God has called you to. You on every hand are taken in with the lure of the world. If you'll only act different, if you talk different, if you give here a little and there a little, you'll be accepted. May you be able to walk into the pits of this earth. And may they, with all of their blandishments, try to get you to change. But because you know the truth and it has set you free, because you realize that you have been baptized into this, not only in water, but also in the Holy Spirit. Because you understand that it has taken the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and that's no symbol. That was real blood that poured out of his veins. We talk about the symbolism of the blood. Well, I tell you something, if you'd have been there and seen the spear in his side and seen the blood in the water flowing out, or the blood from the wounds, or the blood from the thorns, or the blood from the nails in his hands and his feet, or the bloody back, you wouldn't have thought it was a symbol. It was no symbol. 
When the Bible speaks about the blood of Christ, it's speaking about the blood of Christ. And that blood was his life. The Bible says the life of the flesh is in the blood. All through the Israelites' history, they were commanded never to eat the blood. It was to be poured out in the ground and buried. They were not to eat of it, but take of it. They were not to eat of any animal that was strangled because the blood was still in the body and they were not to partake of that life. The flesh they could eat of, but not the blood. Because that blood was to become precious in their eyes. And our Lord's blood was shed. Oh, thank God it was shed. Because we've been saved. Now I want to tell people about that blood. And I want to tell them about the inestimable privilege of coming and being baptized in the name of the Lord. And I want to tell them about being disciples. I want to show people the Lord's ways. I want them to learn to walk in those ways. I want them to abandon the ways of the world, which are the ways of death, and take up the ways of the Lord, which are the ways of peace and life forevermore. I don't want anything out of this world. It has nothing for me at all. It can give me nothing. Everything that it gives is already the Lord's anyhow. And everything that it gives to you is something that's already stolen from God. They rape the earth, pillage its resources, destroy everything they touch, and then say, abandon the ways of truth and come and compromise. Give up that which is true and we will give you this. To hell with all such thinking. Because that's where it's going. That's where it came from. And you've got to recognize the source of it. We have been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. And he said, be disciples and make disciples. Amen. Now, get some more scriptures here. What attitude precedes discipleship commitment? Well, one... He begins to grasp the value of being like Jesus. No thing else. Not of being a great preacher. Not of being a great worker. Not of being an apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, elder, deacon, anything. Those are all just things that will, they're for now. They don't mean anything. They're a function that's useful for today. Like procreation. As long as we're in this human flesh, property we should procreate our kind and god permits that marriage is honorable and all the bed under fire we come together we're married and children are born and we raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the lord it's a wonderful thing but it's only a temporal thing it has to do with this life only my office of an apostle it has to do with this life oh but the fact that i'm your brother and you're my brother or my sister or the great truth that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior and our elder brother and that God is our Father and the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of truth and the Word of God is forever established in heaven. That's not for this life. That's for eternity. Hallelujah. And all of these things that men strive after and yearn to be are nothing. Nothing. Oh, to be conformed to the image of God's Son. You've got to see that's the valuable thing. That's what you're aiming after. Now, without that, you'll never be a disciple. Because no one can give you anything. I can help you become a disciple. I can never make you an apostle. I can show you how to become a wholehearted follower of Jesus. 
I couldn't even give you one tiny office in the church. I have no power to do it. Someone said to me, Brother Jim, I'll give you a million dollars if you'll make me an apostle. If I were a thief, I'd take their million dollars and lay my hand and say, you're an apostle. If I'm an honest man, I'd have to say, Brother, if you gave me all the treasures in the world, I couldn't make you an apostle. I couldn't make you a prophet. I couldn't make you a deacon. I can't even make you a Christian. That's the work of God himself. Offer your money to him. See if he'll do it. Hallelujah. No, I speak the words of truth to you. Unless you see that the most wonderful thing in all of life is to be conformed to the image of God's Son, nothing else has any meaning whatever. If you can see that Jesus suffered, if you can see he was rejected by his own people, the ones he came to, the ones that were his own, if you can see that he died on the cross, if you can see he was beaten, if you can see that everything was taken away from him, he was hated and rejected, if you can see that, and you desire to be conformed to the image of your Lord, and those things come on you, you won't think it strange as though some unusual thing has taken hold of you. You'll be able to say, like the early disciples, when they were beaten for the sake of the Lord Jesus, the Bible says they went out rejoicing that they were worthy to suffer shame for his name. Oh, what a different attitude! than the one that exists in most of the church today. They counted it joy unspeakable and full of glory that they were worthy to suffer. Not like, oh God, don't do this to me, help me. Oh, they said, Lord, we don't know what marvelous act of grace this is on your part. We don't know how you look at us because we know we're nothing and yet you counted us worthy to suffer shame for your name. We've been beaten for your name. Thank you, Lord. Oh, that's a wholly different attitude than this mishy, mishy, milky, milky type of gospel that's going on today. And the Russians will never attack the United States because God will keep his people safe. We will never suffer the pangs of war if you will serve Jesus. Yeah? Well, I tell you, you look back in the Word of God, and you'll see the righteous suffered along with the guilty, and God used foreign nations to punish even godly nations. And that's a part of what you're taking. It's a part of what you take. Because you recognize you're talking about eternal life. You're not talking about this life. What does it matter if someone sticks you in a log and saws you in half? That's soon over. I know that would hurt. Yeah. See, the problem is someone, when you preach like that, they say, well, brother, you just don't understand about why well, certainly I understand about those things. See, I've got an imagination like anybody else. When I've gone over those things, I've thought about being in a log. You know, to take it apart, hollow it all out, put me in there, and I can almost feel the saw, and then I feel the first striking metal. I'm, oh, yeah, I know about that. But I'm telling you this. What the Lord says to us is truth. He said, Fear not them which after they have destroyed the body can do no more. But I'll tell you whom you shall fear. You fear him that can destroy both soul and body in hell. Him you shall fear. David said, I will not fear what man can do to me. I will not fear. And they did everything they could to him practically. He said, put him to death. And they would have done that if they could have caught him. But for the purposes of God, he kept him separate. They couldn't do it. 
I will not fear what man can do to me. Now let's read a little more. It's not all the scriptures on that subject. Philippians 3, 7 to 15. For what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dumb, that I may win Christ. Now I'll tell you, the world and the worldly church doesn't count it that way. You say, oh my, somebody did this to me and I, I lost my powder puff. And I don't know, I think I'm going to backslide now because God didn't hold me up here. Paul said, well, I didn't only lose my powder puff. He said, I lost everything. He said, you know how I count it? I count it as dung that I might win Christ. See, there has to come a different kind of attitude into the church. And that kind of attitude is going to have to first be in you. And then you're going to have to go out to the church and with love in your heart, infinite patience, no desire to strive. You're going to have to live the life. You're going to have to be willing to suffer the loss of all things and count it as nothing. There may be times in your life when God blesses you and you have abundance. Paul said, I know how to be a base and how to abound. When you know how to abound... Make sure you know how to use it well, because that's the purpose of that abounding, that you'll use it well. The Bible says, ye that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what the Lord did for us, that's what we're to do for others. That's what our tree planters are doing. They're strong. They weren't always strong, sometimes they were weak. Matter of fact, according to the Bible, sometimes they were dead. You all were dead, I was dead. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Total mess. And then the Lord came along in his mercy. He anointed our eyes with salve. He changed our hearts. He forgave our sins. He washed us from our iniquities with the pure water of the word. He filled us with his spirit. He gave us the truth. He made us strong. Now the Bible says, Ye that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and so fulfill the law of Christ. All out there in the world, all kinds of weak people in the church and out of the church. It's the truth. And you that are strong have got to bear their infirmities. Isn't that unfair? I tell you for sure it is. Nothing fair about being a Christian. God never intended it to be fair. Nothing fair, nothing fair about him having to give his son. There's nothing fair about being in love. God draws you to somebody and you're in love with them. Well, I say, wait a minute, is that fair? I want to go around here and pick and choose, and uh, I want to kind of go around here and uh, I'll choose. Uh... I said, you better leave that choosing up to me. You better leave that choosing up to me. Nothing fair about that. Nothing fair about Paul getting his head cut off. Nothing fair about Isaiah being sewed up in a log and sawed in half. Nothing fair about wandering about in dens and caves of the earth clothed only with sheepskins and goatskins. Nothing fair about being destitute, afflicted, tormented. But that's the way it is. It's going to be nothing fair to you either when you go and you carry the message of Jesus Christ. If some of you are going to be run down, run over. You're going to extend your life for Christ. Paul said it. I'm ready to spend and be spent for you. That's what he did. And I tell you something. More and more, you're going to see how true that is. You're going to be heard by the church, and you're going to be accepted by a part of it, but for a time, you are going to be excoriated and persecuted and hit with everything 
because you're going to be accused of being bigoted. You're going to be accused of thinking you got it. You're going to be accused of thinking you are the church. Don't you ever think any of those things. You don't have it, but you have something. Really, you have someone, and you're trying to be a disciple. As many of you as are hearing this message. The rest of you that have not heard this message yet, and have not committed yourself to discipleship, do it. There's nothing else of any value. The Bible talks about the value of this thing of discipleship, but let me read on here so I give you this verse I was reading. Count all things but loss, to count them but dung that I might win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, nothing to brag about for yourself, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Now listen to this, that I may know him. Here's Paul, he's talking about, what? well, you know the Lord, don't you? Come and say, you know the Lord? Well, yeah, I know the Lord. I met the Lord uh, back in 1965. I met the Lord in 19 so-and-so. I met the Lord. Paul, the apostle, is the one who is saying that I might know him. Now, I've got another scripture that will explain that a little later, where Paul says, you know, Simon, you know God, or rather, you are known of him. When you come to accept Jesus Christ, that which is true is that God knows you. You don't know God. You've only received him by grace, but you don't have the foggiest idea who or what he is. Paul said, I'm not content to only be saved. I'm not content to only go to heaven. That's the height of many people's religion. I'm saved and I'm going to go to heaven someday. Paul said, something else has taken hold of my spirit. Something else has taken hold of my mind and my imagination. Something else has taken hold of my whole being. And I've seen a glimpse of him. And what I have seen has transformed my whole life. And he's laid hold upon me. This Jesus has laid hold upon me for something. And all my desire is that I may know him. And everything else became, what was the word he used? Dung. That I may win him. Now, he wasn't referring to his brothers and sisters or his wife and his children. He was referring to the things of the world that become the thing which we, I'm here, God has placed me here, and he wants me to be happy. Well, yes, if you understand that happiness is that joy from within, that joy unspeakable and full of glory. If you'd have gone up to Paul and see him kneeling there a few moments before they brought the headsman's axe down upon him, you wouldn't have understood if that's your idea about being happy. You wouldn't have understood what he was going through. He said, man, I don't see. He must not be living right. Or, or maybe he just don't have a real hold of, of the scriptures of faith. Or, or maybe he just doesn't really understand the deliverance ministry. Or maybe he ought to cast the devils out of the headsman's axe and it'll go away and become a rose bush or something. Okay? Paul said, I am ready to be offered. Hallelujah. He knew all about deliverance. Cast out more devils than most of us ever even know exist. But he also knew when the hand of God had brought him to that place. And he said, I fought a good fight. Hallelujah. I finished my course. I kept the faith. From henceforth, he said, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, 
Oh, he knew where the real crowns were. Caesar says, give up Christianity, I'll give you a crown. The head of the kingdom on Daniel, Belteshazzar, said, tell me what the dream means, and I'll make you the third ruler in the kingdom. He said, keep your gifts to yourself, O king. I'll tell you what the dream means. It means tonight you'll be dead, and your kingdom will be given to another one. What have you got to give me? Three Hebrew children... The king said to them, bow down and serve me. Bow down and serve my gods. Or the same moment that you don't do it, you'll be cast into that fiery furnace. And what God, he said, is that that shall deliver you out of my hand? They said to him, O king, we're not careful to answer you in this matter. We're not going to take a lot of time. We've thought about this a lot of times. So we don't have to take a lot of time now. And that's what we ought to be doing, thinking about this a lot of times. So when the time comes that we have to give the answer, we'll have the answer. We'll have to meditate about it. The Holy Spirit will give it because it's been going on in our hearts a long time. We're not careful to answer you in this matter. We do not know if our God will deliver us from that fiery furnace. But we do know this, that he'll deliver us out of your hand. All you can do is take care of this body. And you can only do that if God lets you do it. But I'll tell you who we fear. We fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now our God will deliver us out of your hand. And we will not bow down and serve your gods, nor worship your images. Oh, you know the rest of the story. They threw him in, and Jesus was waiting for him. Said, come on in, boys. Not so hot in here after all. Hallelujah. But for every wonderful story like that, which is exciting... There's also the stories that go along with it of Jeremiah and the slime pit up to his armpits. Of Jeremiah sitting in the stocks in front of people. We read about Paul praying to God at night saying, Hallelujah! And the stocks fell off his neck and the jailer was saved and a great revival broke out. And we say, Oh man, that's the way it ought to be done. But we forget about he knelt a few years later and they took off his head. And I think he was still saying, Hallelujah, bless you, Jesus, I'm coming home. I'm ready to be offered. And the headsman's axe fell. They said, we killed him. Oh, no, Jesus said, I just took him home. Hallelujah. See, Jeremiah, a wanderer and a vagabond, Isaiah murdered. On down the righteous ones that are before appointed the coming of the Lord and those that pointed afterward, they all paid a price. They all paid a price. Now, if you're talking about happiness being things like balmy breezes and nice trim front yards and big homes and everything that you want and all the money in your pocket you want and trips abroad and uh, vacations, and so, if that's it, then I'm going to tell you this gospel hasn't been heard. Have you heard this good news? The good news is that in spite of all this tribulation and persecution and the suffering that will come your way, you're going to overcome even as our Lord overcame. And your sins will be forgiven, and they are forgiven, and you've got a new name given you, and you're going to be conformed to the image of His Son, and you're going to live with Him forever and ever. That's the good news. The good news isn't bigger baseball scores. No, not that. Can't seem to get through this one scripture here. But see, he said so much here. That's the problem. And be found in him not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, man, that first part's great, isn't it? The power of his resurrection. We just see ourselves going around raising the dead, casting out devils, cleansing lepers, and zooming up to heaven in the rapture. Then he goes on to say, and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his what? His death. If by any means... I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after. Oh, how he followed after. If that I may apprehend that for which I also am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. He knew he was saved. He told that again and again. He's talking about something deeper, something more important, something of eternal weight. Unless you can see it in the Spirit, you don't see it at all. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark. Have you found that mark, the thing you're shooting at, to be what? Say it. Conformed to the image of his son. That's the mark. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything you be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same things. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. I'd like you to turn over now, please, to another scripture. John 17:3, Lord's great prayer. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. All the kingdoms of the earth will be found no more place for them. And the mountain of our Lord starts out as a rock cut out of the mountain without hands, shall fall on the earth and grow to a great mountain, which shall fill all the earth, the Bible says. And our God will rule. I tell you, everything is going to pass away. Even heaven and earth is going to pass away. But he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. Set your heart, violently set your heart. The kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. Like you turn to Galatians 4.9. This is a scripture that I was giving you earlier, just so you have it for reference. But now, after that ye have known God, now notice how Paul corrects himself, or rather, what? Are known of God. See? This is the thing that brings into balance that simple statement, and you've got to be careful as you go along through life, that as you get in your witnessing and your work for Jesus, you say, do you know Jesus? I said, no, I don't know Jesus. Say, I can show you how to know Jesus. Well, of course you can. You introduce him. You tell him the truth about Jesus. I received Jesus. You say, praise the Lord. He says, oh, I know Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, that's good for a baby. It's just like a little baby say, oh, I know my mother. I know my, my daddy. I know they don't know him. Their mother and their father are so far above their ways, those little baby ways, they don't even know them at all. It'll take 20, 30, 40, maybe 50, 60 years. Maybe the father and mother will have to be dead before the child looks back on their ways. And said, I finally come to understand my father. I finally come to know my mother. What a precious treasure they were for me. 
Some time ago I received a letter indicating that type of thing that can indicate itself or come clear after a child grows up and say, now I see why this was done and that was done and something else was done. Well, I tell you, when we come to God, all that can be said of it is that he knows us. Now it's as we become disciples and press on to know him that we come to that knowledge of himself as an entity, a person. He wants to know God's ways. Psalm 103.7. I want to show you this always down through the ages where these men who were disciples, they just were holy learners. They wanted to know. David here understood this. He said he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts to the children of men. Now, most young Christians, all they see are God's acts. They see people speaking in tongues. They see people getting healed. They hear preaching. They say, wow, this is a really fantastic man, so forth and so on. But here's what we're talking about. The Bible says he made known his ways unto Moses. Moses went on to know him. Turn back to Psalms 25, verse 4. We'll see the heart of the psalmist here. He cries out. He says, show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Now, Psalm 95.10. I think the psalmist expressed these things so beautifully. Psalm 95.10. Forty years long was I grieved with this generation. This is God now speaking of the old Israelitish generation. And said, it is a people that do err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. He desires to please God. And this is the way the scripture describes him. Look at Matthew 13, verse 44. Now, it tells about this man, and I want you to think about this for yourself. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a treasure hid in a field, the which when a man hath found, he hideth, and for joy thereof goeth and selleth all that he hath, and buyeth that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant man seeking goodly pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Now, does that give you a little bit of the picture of what he's talking about? It's talking about when you found this one pearl of great Christ Jesus. You're not adding Jesus into the, the whole spectrum of your life. He becomes your life. He becomes everything that has to do with it. He becomes the very center, the very focus, the very meaning, the very source. Everything is tied up in Jesus. And all of the other things merely fit around that. And the Bible describes to us what those things are. When he becomes the source of our life, we have a family. Isn't this a wonderful thing that you're a part of this family? I've told people before, I said, you cannot imagine that to me as a, a minister of the gospel, one of those called, one of those fivefold ministries, I sometimes stumble over words to express it. I said, but for years, I pastored so-called churches. And I said, in all of that time, I never knew of one single person that I was sure that loved me, and there was no one that I was sure I loved. Not a person. And now I said, in this day in which we are ministering, I'm literally surrounded by love, and I know that I'm loved, and I know that I love. But that isn't because this is the end of it. The end of it is now so that we love one another. That's the end of it. No, no. The end of it is Jesus. Hallelujah. He's the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. Everything is there. And when we're rightly related to him, then all of this begins to 
See, but if I get my eyes off him and say, wow, this is what it's all about, man, and we're just going to spend our time working on loving one, and that's what it's all about. And we begin to forget the source of that love. We begin to forget the one who is the love. We begin to forget to exalt him and glorify him and magnify his name and follow in his ways. And pretty soon we're going to begin to learn something pretty funny about this group of people, and that is that we don't love one another anymore. There's no way that this love can be sustained among us. There's no way that this love can be maintained except Jesus maintain it. I have no ability to love you whatever except the soulish love. And the first time you do something that my soul doesn't like, I'll burn you off in a second. And the first time I do something you don't like, you say, man, I don't want anything to do with that Durkin. That's no preachers of the devil. But if Jesus is working in our lives, some pretty heavy things can go on between us and some pretty straight words and some pretty honest talk and we can get down to some pretty nitty-gritty things. You can say one thing about it, man. What he said hurts. One thing I know, he loves me and I love him and we're hanging in there together. You know why? Because Jesus is the center of everything. That's what it's all about. That's what makes it work. Can't work. Churches now have forgotten that and they try to get together on a basis of social equality or social likeness. Let's get the people that are all alike. Let's get the people to speak the same thing. Well, if you're talking about speak the same things out of the Word, then black and white, brown, yellow, green and gray, and all other colors can get together. Old and young can get together. Educated and ignorant, slaves and masters, rich and poor, they can all get together, sit down with one another, and say, Hallelujah, I'm so filled with love. I love you, 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 you. And they're going around and say, Wait a minute, you got the wrong color suit on there. That's not right. See, it's Jesus that makes that difference. And you get Jesus out of it. And you back off and say, look at that guy. What's he doing in my church? <laughs> this one here. And pretty soon you find out if you just keep doing it long enough, you're going to have a one-man church. That's what someone told me one time. They said, brother, shouldn't we separate all of ourselves from those who don't believe in? They told me what? I said, should we separate ourselves from those people? No, can't do that. Well, he said, brother, we got to stand for holiness. It wasn't a question of holiness. They didn't believe some particular doctrinal point. The guy believed, oh, so separate from those people. Who separate from these people? I said, brother, I look to see you on a mountain peak someplace someday, and I'll be waving to you way up there because you're going to be all by yourself. No, brother, I can relate to any Christian, and I don't have to compromise what I believe. But I'm not going to be divided in my heart from him. I'm going to keep on talking to them. They may tell me to go take a flying jump in the lake. I'm not going to take a jump in the lake. I'm going to keep on preaching the gospel. But I'm going to keep on being related to them. I'm going to keep on being related to them. See? They say, oh, brother, we don't really like to hear your preaching. Say, sorry, here I am. See? Now, if we don't have the courage that we need, and that's some of the attributes that I'm going to talk about, if we don't have the courage that we need, Someone say, I don't like you. You're a rotten preacher. Say, oh, you don't. Well, then I'm going to go get my little crowd who will listen to me, and I'll preach them. Here's my 13 people. I say, bless God. And this is my, they say, amen, brother. Amen. 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 Wow, man, this is a holy church here. This will be. Listen, folks. If Paul had gone on doing things like that, he'd have thrown the whole Corinthian church out. Had a guy in there that took his father's wife. Wouldn't repent of it, and the church didn't want to do anything about it, and people talking in tongues all the way through the meeting, couldn't even get a word to preach in edgewise, try to teach the word, and somebody the whole thing goes, that's a really wild thing. He didn't throw them out. 
He said, I rebuke you, you're carnal, shut up! <laughs> Hallelujah. But I tell you, he also had mercy. When that guy repented of the terrible act he did, he said, you take that brother back in, take good care of him, man, he's been hurt enough. Now, let's see, that's what it takes. It takes a father who knows how to say no, and one who knows how to say yes. I want you to be disciples of our Lord. I want you to lay aside everything else that gets in the way of you being a disciple, and you give yourself over to following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. What is the process of discipleship? Found in Matthew 7. I'm going to go along as quick as I can here. I'm going to skip over some of these verses. I'll just give it to you. It's where he said that you are to hear my sayings and do them. James 1, 21 to 27 goes on to say essentially the same thing. Chapter 2 says essentially the same thing. If you see a man hungry and naked or thirsty, and you say to him, be ye warm and filled, but don't give him the things that he needs. In other words, don't do what the Lord said. The Lord said, remember the poor, feed them that are hungry, even take your enemies and give them food when they're hungry. Then he said that this thing isn't working in you at all. Now this produces conflict. In 2 Timothy 3.12, it says, All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You start to do the word of God, you're going to get into persecution. I'll tell you for sure. However, in 1 Peter 4.1 and Matthew 20.23, it guarantees that the end of it all will be victory. Hallelujah. Every disciple must come under the direction of a discipler. I'd like to bring that because that's an important thing. This day and time, we have a lot of things going on, and some of the movements are certainly movements of God. But we have a number of people who don't understand about discipleship, and they got a some kind of a direct pipeline to heaven type of situation, and they all get together. Nobody is teaching them the word, nobody's really discipling them. They just kind of all get together and they just go back and forth like this, singing songs, and they do that for three, four hours, and then they all go home, and that's the end of their discipling work. But I tell you something, if you're going to be discipled, you're going to have to come under the work of a discipler. And there are several of those in this particular work, and I'm thankful for it, and I see others being raised up and are making disciples out of our people. But 2 Timothy 2, I'd like you to turn to that, that's important. There's going to be much discipleship work going on in this town. 2 Timothy, verse 2. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Notice that, the things which you've heard among me, of many witnesses, the same commit the faithful man, there's a discipling process, Timothy was discipled, now he's going to disciple others, who shall be able to teach, disciple others also, under the third generation. Verse 14, of these things put them in remembrance, charging them before the Lord that they strive not about words to no profit, but to the subverting of the hearers. Verse 15, Study, he's still telling Timothy, a discipling process here. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I have been startled again and again. I'm still startled by it. Even though I know it's so, let it not be so among you. I see you folks carry Bibles. You ought to. But I'm going to tell you something, carrying that Bible do you no good unless you get the pages of it open and you begin to study what's on the inside of it. And you sit down with someone who can tell you the meaning of it and you let yourself be instructed in the Word of God. You've got to be hungry for the Word of God. You've got to want to know what's in there. And that's what Paul is telling this man. He says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. But shun profane 
and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. Don't let yourself get into a lot of silly speculations. Don't get into a lot of arguments with ungodly people. Minister the word of God in love and leave the word to do its work. But you, you make sure you know the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Rightly dividing. Know how to rightly divide the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3. Well, he had a lot to say to this man here because he knew he was going to be offered up right away. 2 Timothy 3.10. We'll read on to verse 17. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. I want you to know my doctrine, too. My manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came to me at Antioch and Iconium at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Then he goes on to tell us evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. You teach your children the truth, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. Paul is knowing he's shortly going to be executed, martyred. And he said, Timothy, I'm going to leave you some good advice. I'm going to command you some truth. I'm going to keep up the discipling process that started ever since the first day I met you. And he said, I'll tell you, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, when I'm gone, I strengthen your hand while I'm alive. I've been there to teach you when you were starting to err from the ways. I've corrected you when you got out of line. Now I pray to God you've come to maturity, but I'm going to leave you some written words of instruction. And here's what I'm telling you. He said, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ. At the day of judgment... We're going to be there, Timothy. And here's my charge. You preach the word. You be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. Because he said, I'm telling you, Timothy, the time has come when they're not going to endure sound doctrine. But they're going to heap to themselves teachers. Because they want their ears tickled. Because they want to hear things that will make them happy. And they're going to be turned away from the truth and turned into fables. But he said, Timothy, you hang in there and tell them the truth. I'll tell you something. I believe God is raising up a generation of people that is going to tell this world the truth. I believe you are that generation. I believe you are that generation. And that's how I see you. And that's why I preach to you like this. I'm telling you, my sermon would have ended about an hour and ten minutes ago in some churches. They'd have had me out the back door going right down the skids. Don't ever come back here with that kind of stuff. You're shaking our people up. Bless God. I'm glad you're still here. That shows you've got some pretty good stuff. 
The good stuff is not you, by the way, and it ain't me. It's Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thought I was lightening up on you a little bit there, didn't you? Well, I'm just going to read these things. What are the traits of a disciple after training? He's a man in whom mercy and truth are balanced together. I could talk to you about Exodus 34, 6, where God applies that to himself, the God of mercy and truth. I could show you in Psalms those several scriptures I've got here that would be good for you to read, but where David cried out, mercy and truth are bound together. He prayed for mercy and truth for himself because he wanted those attributes of God. I think of Joseph when he finally got the upper hand on his brother and could have really butchered him. He said, oh, brethren, he said, I'm just so glad to see you. Don't think it was you that it was God that sent me here, and I'm sent here to preserve the nation. Mercy and truth were bound in the man. David had mercy and truth. I think of the word faithfulness applied to the New Testament and Old Testament saints. I think of the word integrity. David said, my integrity has kept me. I think of the word submissiveness taught in the Bible, no Old and New Testament. I think of the word humility. I think of the word able men. This is maybe one of the hardest things that some of you young people have to face. You can understand some of these more spiritual concepts because you've been dealing in, in spiritual things, so the word abstract truth. But if you're not careful, it'll all end up abstract truth. The Bible talks about able men. Able men. The Bible talked about this man, Stephen, said he was a man of wisdom. That's why I like to see you trained in practical matters. We're going to get a school started here, a day school. I want our people trained to know how to count, to read, to write. I want to teach you business principles. I want to teach you how to buy a house. I want to teach you to know when you're getting taken. I want to show you how to recognize all the signs when something is bad going wrong and you better get out of there. The Bible said, Behold, I send you a sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise, therefore, as serpents and harmless as doves. Now, many of our people walk in and here they're dealing with some businessman or some company here and they know the guy's ungodly. He's telling them he's ungodly. He's swearing and yelling and screaming and this and that and the other. He sets down to do a business deal and says, Hello, boys. <laughs> Sit right down here. <laughs> and here the Christians come in and say, Oh, this must be a brother in the Lord. See? And they sit down there like this. And, uh, well, we trust you completely, brother. You do, huh? You better not trust anything except the Lord. When you sit down there to deal, make sure you get your head screwed on straight. Your spirit lined up right with heaven, and you've got a multitude of counselors around you, and the Word of God well in your heart, and you're praying every moment of the time. You're in some pretty heavy company, I'm going to tell you something. But you've got to learn how to deal with those people this way. They understand how to deal tough. If you come in there and say, listen, buster, we know you're a dirty two-timing crook, and we're going to shove this deal down your throat, and you're not going to... They understand that, and you want to deal with toughness, man, they are tough. But the Bible talks about wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Hallelujah. We aren't going to hurt anybody. We aren't going to hurt anybody. Courageous men, and you understand I'm including women, it's a generic term I'm using. People of vision, people of righteousness, people of knowledge. Let me read those again. Faithful, men in whom mercy and truth is balanced, people of integrity, people with a submissive heart, people of humility. 
Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and in due time he'll exalt you. Able men, men who know how to get a job done. Oh, how it excites me when reports come back about our tree planters. Where these heads of companies look at their work and say, that's top-notch work. That's good work. Able men. Because they'll be just that way when they go out to do the work of God. If they're heading a work or if they're leading a gospel team someplace, they'll have just exactly the same traits in the work that they do. Courageous men. Quit you like men. Be strong, Paul said. God said to Joshua, be strong and very courageous. You aren't courageous by nature. Some time ago I was talking to a guy, and he said, man, he said, I've got the courage to tell anybody anything anytime I feel. Tell them right off just what I feel. And I said, that's not necessarily courage, my brother. I said, that may only be rudeness or crudeness or a lack of understanding. Courage sometimes is the ability to bite your lip and keep your mouth shut. Courage sometimes is the ability to be slapped in the face and offer the other cheek. Courage is like Jesus, who when he was reviled, he opened not his mouth again. And sometimes courage is the ability to speak to a brother and say, you're not walking uprightly. Stop what you're doing. Courage is not something we naturally have because we're talking about the courage of God. We're not talking about physical courage, the courage to beat somebody up the courage to crush somebody because we're stronger. It's the kind of courage that Jesus had when he could have called legions of angels and been delivered from the cross. Instead, he walked at a cross. When he could have lifted his hand and destroyed the earth, but he bent over a Roman whipping post and let his back be beaten. See, the courage that I'm talking about sometimes is a quiet courage that just gets done what has to be done. The Bible says, quit you like men, be strong. Vision. Righteousness. My heart's desire for my Lord, because that's his heart's desire, is to see disciples, wholehearted learners, wholehearted followers, men and women given over to Jesus, say, Lord, Teach me your ways. Show me the truth. Let me walk in it. Let me lay hold upon you for that which you have laid hold upon me for. Let those traits be in me which you talk about, Lord. Let me count all things the loss of all things, but dung let me hang it up that I might come and follow you, Lord. I tell you what I see because I have a vision too. And partly that vision comes clearer and clearer to me as the prophets of God speak to me. And even though once I was a prophet and therefore that gift operates on occasion, yet now that my ministry has changed, so therefore those gifts in that particular area have become less dominant so that I must depend upon my brothers who have that gift. I too must be submissive and dependent. Though I have a place of rule, I must learn to submit. Though I can speak a word of authority and have it heard in a large area, I must learn to submit. And I must learn that all of my life, and you must learn it all of your life. You must learn how utterly dependent you are. I tell you now, I can do nothing without you. You were sent here by God to make up deficiencies in myself. Yes, there's much I can teach you. 
There's much I know because he's taught me, he's broken me. And as many gifts I have to impart. But all that I have to impart, unless I have someone to impart it to, and you were sent as a gift to me, I might be able to impart this, and you'll take it to others and impart it to them, and it'll go on and go on and go on until the Lord's vision is fulfilled in the earth. There will be a body, a perfect body. It will be as bride, and it will be ready, and it'll be without spot and without wrinkle, no trace of age anywhere, no blemishes or spots. And it'll stand up in all the earth manifesting the full glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this body, where will it be? It'll be in every part of the earth. It will have gone to every tribe and kindred and tongue and nation and declared the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. I have a vision, but I tell you it's being made clearer and clearer by the blessed brothers that God has given me to keep speaking to me the word of the Lord. And I hear that vision, and my eyes are lifted up, and I see it ever more clearly what God wants. And I know he's placed that authority in my hands to say, then let us go and do it. See? But without those eyes to see, and ears to hear, and teachers to teach, and people to hear, and be discipled and go forth, then a man is awfully and terribly alone. We need one another. Aren't you glad we're all here together and dependent upon each other? I don't have to be afraid to answer that. Some place I go, I might ask that question. Some say, no, I'm not glad I'm here. I wish I was home eating beans or something, see. But that's not where your hearts are. So I leave you with this. You brothers and sisters that are going up to the tree planting, you go up there as disciples of the Lord, not as tree planters. Don't go up there as people who help to support the work of this ministry. Go up there as people who are being discipled in the name of the Lord. You people that are left behind, I tell you, you owe to God your very existence and your very being. Capture the vision to be like Him. Capture the vision of going into all the world and seeing those things. Let that vision be in your heart, not just making converts. Not just getting somebody to raise their hand and some mass rally that people are all stirred up. Yeah, I'll accept Jesus. I will. I will. But capturing those people for the Lord and making disciples out of them until they know and understand his ways, his principles, his truth, and they know him personally. And they walk like him and they act like him. I tell you that shortly now, some of you are going to leave here because you're going to be sent out. My brothers have spoken to me. So a month and a half, two months ago, they spoke and they said words like this, we're thinned down, we're stripped down, if we send any more people out, we're going to be in trouble. Well, I think that was right a month and a half, two months ago. Now three, four, five days ago, they came to me and said, we got too many people and they're all strong in the Lord and they need to be sent out. Hallelujah. Isn't that wonderful? And so some of you I know, I don't know who or which ones yet or where. But I know very shortly we're going to begin to see, once again, teams of men and women moving out into the harvest fields, and the reports are going to begin coming back of the works that are going to be established there. And then behind you will come others, and yet others, and they also will be discipled, and they'll be sent out. And you'll disciple people where you are, and they'll be sent out from you. And they'll divide again and again and again and again. And many of you 
I think it could well be so. I believe it is. We'll be also raised up as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers and elders and deacons and helps and governments and administrations, those who speak in tongues and those who heal the sick and those who operate the gifts of miracles and faith. They're all to be restored to the church, this glorious church, this church without blemish and without spot and without wrinkle. And I see that going out from here and going out from a thousand other places until we all meet somewhere and begin to come together and all the pieces of the church are joined. And even the nominal churches today who do not understand authority, who cannot receive the plain word of God, some of them will begin to hear it, and I believe the great numbers of them will begin to hear it. Some will not. And the ones that will not will go on in their own pernicious ways, and those that will hear it will come, and they'll also join with their brothers and sisters. And they'll begin to hear God's true authority and God's true word and begin to walk in that truth until the whole earth shall be filled with his glory. Hallelujah. And that's the vision that I have for you.